Mike Seibert Radio is an independent podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Enjoy the show! Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. And the spelling on that, by the way, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just the way it sounds, and not to be confused with that other uh, Transformer website that sounds very similar to my name. Uh, this is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. It's a pop culture show from Seattle featuring interviews, independent artists, and occasionally more. And during this special bonus episode, my good buddy Aaron Thweet from the Autopod Decepticast will be my guest. He'll join us shortly to talk about A Star is Born. He just saw it. I saw the movie a few weeks ago, and I've been anxious to talk about it with somebody on the air. But since he is the host of a Transformers-related podcast, I also want to talk to him about that new Masterpiece Optimus Prime figure that everybody in the community is talking about. We're also going to talk about pandering, that Bumblebee movie, um, and a couple other things as well. It's probably the craziest mix I've done on a podcast since that one time we talked about our Rocky movie rankings before our Jurassic Park special. Uh, good thing there are time codes in the show notes. Uh, think of it as kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure type podcast. All that and more on this all-new episode of Mike Seibert Radio, so let's get right to it. Attention Bumblebee fans, Cybefest Northwest has partnered with Allied Seattle for a Bumblebee holiday giveaway. The prize pack includes a Bumblebee t-shirt, backpack, portable charger, speaker keychain, three Hasbro toys, car essentials kit, and a mini and full-size film poster. You want to win? Here's how you can enter. Like the Cybefest Northwest page and Allied Seattle, Comment with a photo of your best DIY Bumblebee costume or your Transformers collector's items, making sure to tag both Cybefest Northwest and Allied Seattle. Winners will be contacted via direct message on December 15th, 2018 and ship their exclusive prize pack directly. You'll also get a bonus entry if you follow Allied Seattle and Cybefest Northwest on Instagram. But I'm not done yet. Want to see Bumblebee before it comes out? Join us at an advanced screening at Regal Thornton Place in Northgate. Fill out the form on the Cybefest Northwest Facebook page to reserve your seats. I'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. And a quick reminder that Cybefest Northwest 2019 will be held July 27th at the Kent Commons Community Center. Cybefest Northwest is the unofficial Transformers convention in the Pacific Northwest by the fans 
for the fans. I went last year and had a great time, and I'm really looking forward to trying to spread the word this year and uh, to become a little more involved. It's a really great community of fans and collectors, um, and I just felt immediately welcomed. Local artists, local vendors, cosplayers, exhibitors, and a great selection of Transformers toys you're going to have a hard time seeing in person for yourself. I mean, I uh, I saw a lot of incredible dealers and some great stuff at TFCon in Chicago, uh, but there were more than a few things that I didn't see there that I didn't realize that I missed out on at Cybefest Northwest, so I'm uh, really excited for this year's show. I mean, where else are you going to find vendors that sell uh, loose and broken Transformers by weight? I mean, they have like like giant plastic tubs full of just parts that you know basically you can buy by bulk and piece together and do uh, do your own thing. All of that at Cybefest Northwest. Uh, keep up with the latest updates about Cybefest Northwest 2019 by following them on Twitter and Instagram and liking them on Facebook. All at Cybefest. NW, as well as their website, CybefestNW.com, and the spelling on that is C-Y-B-F-E-S-T-N-W. Coming up next, Aaron Thweet joins me for more Transformers talk and A Star is Born. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host, and my guest for this very special bonus episode is a man who does not need any help getting back to the hotel after hanging out all night with a bunch of Transformers <laughs> collectors. It's uh, Aaron Tweet from the Autopod Decepticast. How are you doing, my friend? Great, great. Yes, I'm very independent. I can walk across a street with little to no help, despite <laughs> the fact that I might appear to be off balance for uh, chemically induced reasons. <laughs> because reasons. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, thanks a lot for jumping on with me today. Uh, this just this just kind of sort of came together last minute and very quickly, too. Um, so I, I guess uh, before we get into the meat of our main topic, because I'm I'm sure people are looking at the title of this episode wondering why we're even talking about A Star is Born out of nowhere. Um, A a month after it launched. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I want to briefly touch on kind of how we got here. Uh, This uh, this conversation actually started in uh, the group text, you know, the the infamous, uh, notorious at this point, Autopod Decepticast group text, which I I apparently am still a part of like like a month after we got back from Chicago, um, we uh, snuck uh, on to it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we like you on it. I, I I like to chime in from time to time. It's uh, <laughs> but it it is funny though because like I I remember the the first time I had you and Ryan and Caleb on the show, I I asked you like one of the what's one of the biggest challenges that that you guys faced as podcasters, and like the first thing you said was like the group text, and I was like, how can the group text be a challenge? Now that I've been part of it for a month, now I understand because it it, it it's it's bonkers. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have friends like that uh, that you're involved in group chats where things get uh, passive aggressive sometimes, right? And then you haven't even actually probably seen the worst of it, but but I'm sure everybody has that group text where that ha- veers off the the conventional rails of. Uh, <laughs> You know, niceness. 
Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, we we uh, we were talking at one point about uh, the Bumblebee movie and uh, mm. and pandering and and the new masterpiece Optimus Prime figure. And you know, since since everybody in the Transformers community is talking about this damn thing, um, I'd kind of like to start with that, and I'd kind of like to get your scorching hot take on MP44. What do you, what do you think about that new uh, masterpiece Optimus Prime? Well, I think I think it looks uh, really good, and yeah, I guess we've got to talk Transformers for a minute since that's the brand that I that, that I have to represent at, the, at all times. That's all anybody wants to hear from me. Uh, it, but uh, I think it, I mean I I honestly like it. Yeah, I think it looks good. I think it looks cool. It's got a lot of uh, you know as the masterpiece brand has evolved. It's they tried to make things more cartoony. It used to be kind of this hybrid of what if it was real world, but also a little like the cartoon. And now Mm -hmm. they've embraced just full on cartoon all the way down to the hands, you know, the hands are more rounded and almost look like gloves put on a hand as opposed to just these metal angular square boxy fingers. And uh, but at any rate, I like it. It looks like it's a lot of fun. It looks like there's a lot going on as as complicated as I think these transformations get. The unfortunate thing is, even though it it looks a lot like the cartoon from the yeah. outset, there is a lot of panel lines and things where things are going to open and close and fold and tuck in. Mm-hmm. And so that takes a I mean, that takes away from the visual aesthetic a little bit for me. But yeah, in general, I think it looks good. The accessories look good that are coming with it. The I'm I think I'm most excited about. The little the, the spike and Carly and spark plug for whatever reason, but do those little hunks of vinyl are, make it worth four hundred and fifty dollars? <laughs> I don't think so. And I, that's pro- that's the real reason why everybody's talking right now is yeah. they unveiled the price of this thing and everybody's just going crazy. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's it's crazy now, and and the reason why I wanted to ask you about that is because you are a uh, transformer toy collector, a figure collector. You get you get mm-hmm. uh, masterpiece figures, but you also get some third party figures, and so I thought your insight would be would be um, especially interesting because I've been seeing a lot of folks in the community saying like, well, I'm just going to wait for the KO. Now, mm-hmm. now for folks not in the community like myself, I'm just, dude, I am tangentially part of this. Like I've had enough exposure to where I can start slinging around, a, a, you know, like a couple acronyms here and there, but, but I'm no near, uh, uh, expert level, but yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people saying they're, they're just going to wait for, uh, the knockoffs and, that's that's a whole nother arm of litigation we could probably have at a at a different time. Well, because like I didn't realize that like there's this whole other sub sub uh, 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 arm of collecting that's you know basically collecting knockoffs and yeah and that it's, that it's so prevalent and a question I'll ask you like uh, again at a different time is you know how much do uh knockoffs and even uh more I I hate to use the word legitimate uh third party stuff you know kind of you know hinders the overall brand I because I I know you've got a lot of third party figures that that you really really like but I wonder 
other folks that are looking to get like the actual, you know, Takara Tomy, uh, uh, you know, masterpiece, which is kind of like the the official line of these premium Transformers figures. Mm-hmm. I I don't know, man. It's it, so so. My thing is, I don't own any masterpiece figures. I don't own any third party figures. Um, in fact, actually, I don't even have contemporary figures. I've just got like uh, start. You got those alternators, don't that, you? That's what I. I, I squeaked the brakes and I was like, wait a minute, I just bought a whole bunch of alternators. And I, 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 I'm not, sh- again, I'm not involved enough in the community to really understand the bad rap that they have, but apparently they have a bad rap. Um, I, I kind of look at them as kind of like a precursor to a masterpiece. Cause I think with oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they are transitional for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and they were available commercially for a good period of time maybe a year or two and i think they for people our age kind of reignited the passion for those like me specifically who i collected as a kid always had it in the back of my transformers in the back of my Mm -hmm. head as a a pop cultural thing that i had reverence for and still liked even though i wasn't willfully seeking out opportunities to engage with the brand i think beast wars has gone on and and robots in disguise and all those other offshoots that never really quite hit with me but it so it allowed me to re-engage at a level that uh was exciting and cool they were Mm -hmm. i think they're great figures personally and i think they brought just relevance back to gen x schmoes like me who i guess were probably looking for an excuse and just didn't have one to to get involved and i think the figures themselves are great i Mm -hmm. i've only i only i own one okay and do you own the i think it's the smoke screen that's that subaru yeah yeah, I, I've and, got I've got him. I I've got a half dozen. I I've uh, I've got Smokescreen. I've got Tracks. Um, I've uh, but my favorite of the line is uh, uh, Hound. You know, and and you know my my wife drives a Jeep Wrangler, and so like I I you know showed her this figure, and I'm like, look, I'm like, look, it's it's an actual Jeep, you know, with like the actual branding and stuff mm-hmm. on it, and she's like. Hey, that's that's pretty neat. And and I think aside from like, you know, the the original 84, 85 line where, you know, we're taking Diaclone uh, toys that were, you know, licensed from, you know, uh, actual cars and stuff. I think the the Transformers brand really got away from that, um, especially post 1986 with uh, the movie and going into season three. I mean, they're you know, they're being space cars instead of actual cars and right it, it's that aesthetic that that really drew me to those alternators plus i got a bunch of them on the cheap and and now i realize that you know now that that line is over a decade old there's a lot that that i can get on on a pretty reasonable budget um so so i'm actually looking- uh, do you recall what that i'm thinking in my head back when those alternators first came out and i believe in japan they were called vinyl tech or something like that yeah but, now but i think they were maybe were they about 30 bucks they were about 30 bucks and for you know 2004 mike that was way too rich for my blood but, <laughs> sure but now if i if i if i'm grabbing one for like 15 bucks that's loose in 2018 that's a good purchase it's like yeah. I, I I'm cool with that. Um, I mean, thirty bucks in two thousand four dollars is probably about forty five dollars today, and that's about half of what you'll pay if you're going to buy a similarly sized toy from the masterpiece line that is Takara Tomy branded. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, just to cap my perspective on the on the 
alternator thing. Yeah. I think that it proved that there was a market for this. That along with, you know, MP01 came out, the first original masterpiece Optimus Prime. And it, it just proved there was a market and I think really set the stage for us to be living in the world, we collectors of these premium uh, Transformers products, whether third mm-hmm. party, whether legit, whether KO, I think Alternators really bears the 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 genesis of that. Yeah, and helps prove out that people wanted it. Well, and to kind of cap off our our uh, conversation about uh, Masterpiece Optimus Prime, this you know new third version, I remember seeing like the the um, prototype pictures of it, you know, a couple months ago, and even people then were like, you know, why do I need a third one? You know, uh, you know, MP10 uh, Optimus Prime is great for me, or I still love my MP01, or you know, and and that was fine, but for me, I was looking at, I'm like that. That might be baby's first masterpiece because I really <laughs> liked the aesthetic of it and I really liked um, the, you know, just that it looks like aside from all the panel seams and there are mm-hmm. panel seams aplenty. Now It'll that, look better when it's painted for sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, you've seen pictures of the of the full color prototype yeah right? yeah you're oh, right okay. i have and they do look great and and i have a picture up on my screen right now but it is an unpainted version so i tricked oh, my okay. brain into thinking that the painted shots didn't exist but yeah it looks much better painted yeah and uh you know all of the dynamic poses and all that stuff but then the price tag came out and i was like well if it was half of that i would strongly consider it but the price point that it's at no way in hell and that's I if if I were to dip my toes in, it would be for something official because I'm just I'm just kind of a weirdo that way. I don't know what it's going to take for me to dip my toes in for third party or even even worse a knockoff. Um, but I I know that that day hasn't hasn't quite happened yet. Um, sure. So well, to, so I feel to answer question one mm. it, it, to me why why does this need to exist? Uh, I think that a couple reasons I, mp10 which is the kind of the second generation masterpiece optimus prime that mm-hmm. was they 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 released that they basically set the they being takara Tomy, set the stage for a new scale scales a yeah. big thing people love to talk about in the collection community and they and they redesigned it they they updated the proportions and and you know just brought it out there for the world Mm -hmm. and and it it was a great toy i think it stood the test of time i think people have a lot of reverence for it but there are those like me who really like the cartoon interpretations Mm -hmm. and mp10 for everything that's great about it it has some wonky proportions and it doesn't look as much like the cartoon and with the recent gosh what was the last year Mm -hmm. they re-released an mp Megatron, which, and if I don't know how familiar you are with the original masterpiece Megatron that was more scaled with that original tall MPO one Optimus Prime, yeah. but it was a hunk of garbage. Well, and it, it was, was <laughs> it was like super skinny and spindly and all of that, right? And, yeah, and there were reasons for that. I, I, from what I understand, it was the the design on it was forced. That I think that they were given something like eleven days to design it. I don't know what the rush oh, was on it, but yeah, it, it it's not well regarded. I think if it is regarded positively, it's almost just the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It certainly was nowhere near as good as the original MPO one 
Prime. Right. And so you didn't really have an option from Takari to- Takara Tomy for Megatron. And when they finally released that figure, which it is a it is a great figure, and it is very much in alignment with the cartoon. So when you stand it side by side next to the MP10 Optimus Prime, it just doesn't. They don't look like they match as well. Right. So I can okay. see an argument. New figure for the matchup, but also money. I, Takara Tomy is is very slow to development of these masterpiece figures, mm-hmm. which, you know, on a side note, is what opens up the market for the for the third parties to fill those gaps because the demand is so much greater than the supply of the of the actual uh, license holders of the property. <laughs> but but uh, because and it you know it's Takara's choice that they don't that they don't activate that or leverage that demand because. They have every opportunity in the world. Fans will buy that stuff first, 90% of the time. There's no doubt in my mind. But they are really kind of running shy, I'm guessing, from what their research indicates on what the most financially feasible or viable characters are to jump on, despite the fact that they haven't really explored that many characters in the scheme of things but yeah but an optimus prime is always going to be a money maker and uh, but when you price it at 450 i don't know how much of a money maker it'll be for you hence the wait for the ko sentiment and the the takara pieces i don't know why it is with the takara pieces are always ko'd they just uh, the third parties you would think there would be knockoffs of the third party companies right but that's and it does happen but it's so much more rare there is a 100 chance that this optimus prime will be knocked off and you know you'll be able to find it for up 200 250 dollars probably oh okay all right so i i understand that a little better now and uh like like i said well uh i, I will i i want to come back to this topic because i think there's there there's a lot to be discussed there as i continue my uh education of contemporary uh, transformers <laughs> figures well i mean okay now now uh you know real talk i mean we we we've been we've been uh connected now for what just over a year uh give or take and um yeah, when we first got in touch, I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. And in fact, all of these pod carts and pods casting that I listen to, they they just throw these numbers around there. They're like, oh, they had a bunch of extra MP10s hanging around. Oh, ho, 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 ho. and I have no idea what they're talking about. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> well, you know, MP36 has got you know just those beefier thighs rather than that MPO3 garbage. And 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 again, it's just it it's it's like with any kind of subculture and fandom when you get so deep in the lingo it it kind of makes it a little uh, uh impenetrable at times so but yeah believe i i i've only been actually collecting these figures for about three and a half years or mm-hmm. so and so it was very confusing at first to come across the figures and have them be look exactly what you think they are like this is a uh what am i looking at it's a brawn uh-huh. it looks like a really good brawn toy but it's called uh douglas or like, <laughs> I can't whatever and it's made i don't understand the yeah. name of the company that's making it What's yeah. the, i didn't understand the concept behind third party or the, uh-huh. the le- like the dubious legality to them but uh and and uh, you know it is a fascinating thing the third party and there's a lot of people that don't support the third party scene, which is fair. I mean, it is it is fair to say that third parties are infringing on the the ownership of the rights to these characters mm-hmm. and the brand, without a doubt. Right. But um, 
but uh, they are filling a vacuum of demand. <laughs> and and, gotcha. and I don't think they're taking it'd be one thing if they were taking money out of out of uh, Takara Tomy's mouths or Hasbro's mouths, but they're not. Because they have the Takara Tomy and Hasbro have the opportunity to create all these characters, and as soon as they do, or if they did, people would go to that because they would rather have the official licensed product versus the third party, presuming it is a good-looking figure. And and generally, they are high-quality figures mm-hmm. when they come from uh, Takara and Hasbro. So, um, so my take is, I'll, I'll buy thirty third party all day, and then when Hasbro comes up with the character that I already have a third party representation of, I'll probably buy that character <laughs> as well because I want the I want the Hasbro official product or Takara official product. Gotcha. All right. So, all right. So let's let's move on to uh, you know a, another another aspect in that in that same group text conversation uh, was basically uh, you know the the. Uh, and we've touched on it a little bit already, but kind of the the notion of pandering, and then how that kind of relates to the upcoming Bumblebee movie. I kind of want to uh, touch on that a little bit because um, in in one of uh, the stray texts, uh, there was a link to a video uh, from a uh, uh, Bo Burnham that that I that I've watched a couple times, and it just you know it's it's this uh, uh, send up of Keith Urban style country music and how. Mm-hmm. It's all just pandering. Any big fans of country music out there? Yeah. Oh, some people extending my name. Boo, that's also approval. I think, I think country music gets a bad rep. You know, why is it that when Bruce Springsteen sings about a fucking turnpike, it is art, and then when someone sings about a horse, it's dumb inherently? I, don't think, I think some of the greatest songwriters of all time are country artists, Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson, you know? And if you're writing honestly, that is art, and I would never bash that. Um, The problem is, with a lot of modern country music, what what is called stadium country music, the sort of Keith Urban brand of country music, is that it is not honest. It is the exact opposite of honest. Where instead of people actually telling their stories, you got a bunch of millionaire metrosexuals who've never done a hard day's work in their lives, but... They figured out the words and the phrases they can use to pander to their audience and they list the same words and phrases off sort of mad lib style in every song, raking in millions of dollars from actual working class people. You know the words, you know the phrases, phrases like a dirt road, a cold beer, a blue jeans, a red pickup, a rural noun, simple adjective. No shoes, no shirt, no shoes, you didn't hear that. Sort of a mental typo. I walk and talk like a field hand, but the boots I'm wearing cost three grand. I write songs about riding tractors from the comfort of a private jet. I could sing in Mandarin, but still no I'm pandering. Deer chasing trout, a Bud Light with the logo facing out. Hear that subtle mandolin? That's textbook pandering. I own a private ranch that I rarely use. I don't like dirt. One verse, one chorus in the bag. Now it's time to talk to the ladies. I'm hoping my southern charm offsets all these rapey vibes I'm putting out. Good girl in a straw hat, 
with their arms out in a cornfield. That is a scarecrow. Thought it was a human woman, sorry. A cold night, a cold beer, a cold jean strike that last one. And when you hold your bailing face, subtextual. We go to bed, you doze off. So I take your country girl clothes off. I put my hands on your body. It feels like hey, it's a fucking scarecrow again. I might be Mandarin. Fuck your ears, I'm pandering. I write songs for the people who do jobs in the towns that I've never moved to. Legalize Jerry Mandarin. Tolerate my pandering. You got a beautiful mouth, I got a beautiful. Y'all dumb motherfuckers want a key change. Thematically meandering, emphatically pandering. I got a tight grip on my demos balls. Say the word truck, they jizz in their overall. You don't know what land you're in. I'm in the land of pandering. And I'll be up front. I do what I do, cause I'm a total fucking country ball. Had had you never discovered Bo Burnham before? Nah. Oh, dude, he's a genius. Check his Netflix specials out when you get an opportunity. Uh, particularly the last. I mean, his first one is great. Uh-huh. But, I mean, he is a full-blown performance artist. I mean, it, it, I mean, his stuff is just amazing. Interesting. Uh, so so he, he display, you know, he's a super funny guy. He's very introspective. His comedy is sort of, it's very... Um, Oh, just, I mean, you just have to watch it. It's hard to describe because it is idiosyncratic to be, to be sure. And it's very (laughs) philosophical and referential and, uh, just give it a listen. If you liked, if you liked that little song I sent, which was by accident, I actually sent that to Ryan Uh a couple of days before, and I guess it was still on my clipboard in my phone, and somehow I pasted it into our conversation. Uh, But, uh, you know, it ends up being relevant. And when I pasted it in in, with Ryan, we were having an offline conversation around is – is the uh, Optimus Prime scene in the new Bumblebee movie pandering right. to an audience? But uh, and that's why I pasted that in there. And I think that that kind of mm-hmm. ties in um, not only with uh, with MP44, the new uh, masterpiece Optimus Prime figure, but also um, you know we we keep seeing more and more of uh, the Bumblebee movie, which comes out uh, the uh, the week before Christmas. And I I again I I I made a post. Uh, very earnestly uh, uh, a couple few days ago where there's a specific shot and a specific pose and uh, of Optimus Prime and I put them up side by side and I'm like, okay, I know what this is. I mm-hmm. understand that this is pandering, but my take on it is I don't care because <laughs> because here was the thing and and this is something that that you and I discussed when the four of us you know uh uh you me Ryan and Caleb we got together for that episode of Autopod Decepticast where we talked about uh you know seeing the live action movie and you know kind of getting into uh looking forward to Bumblebee a little bit and your take is that it's it's pandering and it's tacked on and and 
But there was a thing that when I watched that latest featurette and, you know, Optimus Prime does that specific pose, the hair literally stood up on my arm. Like, I mean, like, you know, legit real talk. Mm-hmm. I, I got that that nostalgia tingle. And so I know that, that I'm being pandered to. But in a weird way, I'm just kind of like, well, that's fine. Why am I going to be mad about being pandered to? Because... Because, uh, I mean, again, it gave me a legitimately real feeling. And, um, and, and well, a couple of things about that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and, and I'm thinking back. I'm trying to remember the exact language that Ryan used. I don't remember if it was in our group text or a different <laughs> text one on one with him. But he had <laughs> he had this shower thought where he had said this is a credit to I have to credit Ryan of the Autopod Decepticast. His shower thought was along the lines of it. If you if somebody does something like what they're doing for this Bumblebee movie and bringing in all those G1 elements and you think it's stupid, Mm -hmm. then you call it pandering. But if you like it, it's an homage. And so then it brought up, okay, what what is the difference between homaging and pandering? It is it and and or is it is is an homage, just a type of pandering or vice versa, or, um, you know, it's or an homage is a positive form of pandering. And so it was oh very interesting. And, and, you know, pandering isn't necessarily, I guess it depends on, on your motivations behind why you're doing what you're doing to me, maybe. And if, and if the, the creators of that film are genuine genuine love for the for the brand and the mm-hmm. franchise then then you know pandering kind of just makes it seem like you think your audience is stupid so you're going to do something just to just to to win them over but in yeah. a way that implies they're ignorant and don't realize they're being manipulated and uh and I guess an homage I, I don't know I have to believe yeah. that they're manipulate they're trying to manipulate the audience by including all this stuff but it does feel like they care certainly more so in a way than Michael Bay and his team did, because if they had cared to begin with, they wouldn't have uh, started with those scrap designs. (laughs) But, but, but so, and, and that also said, I mean, while I did feel and and maybe I'll just have to see the movie before I speak on it anymore. Like it it was tacked on um, the, that necessarily mean I don't, want to see it or like it oh you know, sure I'm glad it's in there yeah but it just felt you know like just so you know we 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 like you guys we like you fans for real <laughs> here's a picture of optimus prime as you've always known him see yeah and 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 i i took it as that that pose again i'm just talking about that specific pose sure. you know with with the rifle out and the leg up and all that i think that pose is just as important to travis knight as it is to me right. so i think he's like you know i'm putting this in because this is important to me so um but right. it, it comes from a place of love not from a place of cynicism right and now I could be completely mistaken. Also, you know, I I also allow for that, um, but I I also they're thought doing it, a good job of covering it up. If it is, <laughs> I mean, the interviews exactly. with the creators 
seem to indicate everybody from the director to uh, John Cena seem to indicate that people definitely love it. Whereas if you listen to some of those old interviews with Michael Bay back before the movie even came into production, you could tell he didn't even know what the hell a transformer was. He just knew that they were going to give him a big hunk of money to direct this movie. (laughs) And and that's it. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and I also saw like in the released art for MP44, he's it's like a catalog or something but it's posed in that pose i i don't know if you saw that or not um it's an iconic pose yeah and i guess we should speak on the pose we're talking about is is for those who enjoyed the right. uh, 1986 transformers movie the animated movie <laughs> which some of us might have <laughs> yeah there's Maybe a specific a scene where optimus prime is dry he just lands on earth and, and and the the shit's been going down. Uh, the planet has been overrun. The Autobots are kind of losing the war. But he shows up and he he says it's it, you know basically it's time to go fight Megatron. Right. I, he transforms into a truck. The touch plays. And on his way to drive over and meet Megatron and challenge him to a duel, he faces off against a bunch of other Decepticons in his way. And part of uh, during that sequence, he's in truck mode at this point in mm-hmm. time. He's driving over there. He hits a couple guys with his truck. But then he just transforms and this rocket exhaust just blasts from his <laughs> thighs and he just propels him into the air Mm -hmm. probably some 100 or 200 feet into the air and while he's in the air he's kind of flipping so his head is upside down towards the earth and at the same time he's got his gun out and he is just blasting bad guys in the face you know what you uh i i'm glad you took that one because my uh telling of it would not be nearly as concise i, I would have talked about like you know you see the autobot emblem on on his steering wheels he's spinning around and you see thrust reflection in the in the grill and that's that's probably my entire uh favorite sequence of the whole movie we're not talking about that right now we moved on but uh but yeah no it just it just really got me uh thinking about that and um uh somewhere along the way oh we we, we were talking about scheduling for uh, doing a discussion, kind of like a deep dive style uh, discussion about the Bumblebee movie. And uh, inevitably, um, uh, A Star is Born came up. And we uh, and it's like and I'm like the real reason we're talking at all. Forget the Transformers. <laughs> well, I think. All right. So we I think we've pandered to our Transformers <laughs> no audience enough for now. So let's uh, I'm going to put the a Transformers pin- and Lady. Gaga uh, Venn diagram does not overlap very much. Well, I'm, see, I'm here's all right. So I'm gonna I I'm, I think it does kind of overlap at least for us in this whole uh, Bo Burnham bit thing because I think that that uh, Bradley Cooper's character is kind of like a a discount Keith Urban, but we'll unpack that in just a sec. Uh, but uh, uh, for now, let's uh, let's get on to our main topic. What? I just want to take another look at you. In all the good times I find myself longing for change. Here's what we're gonna do. We come sing that song that I love. No, I can't do that. Here no. come, here we go. Look at me. All you gotta do is trust me. That's all you gotta do.
Star is Born. Produced and directed by Bradley Cooper in his directorial debut, this remake stars Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Andrew Dice Clay, Dave Chappelle, and Sam Elliott. It is the fourth telling of the story of an ingenue who meets and falls in love with an older, more established performer only to find her career ascending while his goes into decline. Hilarity ensues. On a budget of 30 to 40 million, the film has already grossed over 357 million dollars and is widely considered one of the best films of 2018 with early awards buzz for Cooper as best director, Gaga for best actress and Sam Elliott for best supporting actor. Aaron, you just watched this movie recently. Sir, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, one quick question is yeah. Bradley Cooper. Is nobody talking about him for best actor because he was fantastic. I, I agree with you. I have not heard a buzz, uh, regarding uh, best actor, which is very, I'll do that research. Yeah, uh, it's... yeah, man. So a little context of how I ended up in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm always perpetually behind when it comes to, to talking about movies or just having seen whatever the most recent movie is with the exception of Marvel movies. I tend to, I tend to fall behind. I stay on top of Marvel movies pretty, pretty well, but, um, but my my wife wanted to see this movie. My oldest stepdaughter wanted to see this movie. Oh, okay. And I saw the ads for it and knew that the reviews were very good. I was not aware that it was a remake four times over going into it. And I didn't know that much about the general storyline at all other than it's a couple of musicians and they fall in love. Okay. So uh, I didn't really know that much about it, but I knew the reviews were good. And if the Rotten Tomatoes score is generally high, I will generally enjoy that movie if it's, if it's most people believe it's well-made. So got it. So, so, you, so you're a popular, I didn't have any kind of guy really other than it was probably going to be good. And I was probably going to like it. Uh, so we go and uh, watch it, and of course, it's an emotional powerhouse. Speaking of uh, uh, pandering and manipulation, it pandered some tears out of here, <laughs> brought some tears. Uh, and I mean, I I really enjoyed it a lot mm-hmm. for the most part. I think it has uh, some issues, but um, but I really liked it to the point where whenever I see a movie that is unexpected or that I like, I tend to then go on those deep dives where okay, oh, okay. I'm gonna Wikipedia it. And yeah. then I'm going to read all the reviews and then I'm going to read other supporting articles and materials I can find. So I find myself going down little rabbit holes sometimes when I <laughs> when I particularly enjoy a film. And this was no exception. I, I ended up trying to read everything about it after I watched it just because I thought it was pretty darn good. And it, it you know, it moved me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So uh, so you'd say you uh, you liked it then, right? <laughs> I I'll give it a I'll give it a a solid B plus. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Good. All right. Very good. All right. So so my thoughts. Um I uh everything you've heard about this movie is true. Bradley Cooper can sing and act and direct and whatever else. I I agree with you Aaron that there should be some best actor consideration as well as for his directing. Uh Lady Gaga can act quite effectively as well as perform they are great together and have genuinely palpable good chemistry 
Um, the the supporting performances are all amazing. Um, Andrew Dice Clay is unrecognizable as yeah, as Lady that was, Gaga's that dad. Was a revelation. I wonder if he's going to have this sort of. Um, moment of rediscovery in the in the pop culture Hollywood zeitgeist kind of in that uh, oh gosh why am I blinking out on his name the wrestler oh uh which wrestler? Oh, you Mickey, mean, Mickey Rourke. Oh, okay, Mickey Rourke I, I, I was going to say like, Mickey Rourke. I mean, like, but does he mean an actual wrestler or is he talking about the you wrestler? Know, like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, you like know, a Mickey Rourke style reinvention yeah. comeback moment. I mean, the, Andrew Dice Clay was awesome. Yeah. Um, Dave Chappelle's great in this, too. He shines in an mm-hmm. extended cameo. And of course, Sam Elliott is a master thief, stealing every scene he's in. And I think one of uh, my favorite things about the movie is that at first, you're almost thinking that Bradley Cooper is doing a like a discount Sam Elliott voice. But then it's so clever how he brings in Sam Elliott and that is actually like a major, major plot point. And yeah. I thought that was really clever and really well done. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, you want to talk about like revivals and stuff. Um, if, if this gets Sam Elliott in more movies that I get to watch, so much the better. Um, because he's, he's he always chews up the scene of every movie oh. he's in and not intentionally. I don't, he's not yeah. a screen hog or anything. No. He just has this the, the this charm and charisma. Mm-hmm. That, what You could watch Roadhouse, edit out <laughs> everything but <laughs> the Sam Elliott <laughs> scenes and you'd have a pretty good movie. You'd be pretty satisfied with that. I'd, I'd watch that cut. <laughs> he's great in that. Um, and, and the music is pretty good, too. Um, yeah, I mean, and that was fine. Now... However, um, whereas, you know, um, okay, here's, here's where I go subjective between objective and whatnot. I don't disagree with the thing you've said. I don't disagree with any of the things that I just said. I'd give it a high B plus A minus myself. However, I didn't like it. Actually, let me, let, let me, let me scratch that. I, I, I love the first third of the movie quite a bit. Um, that uh, that that first concert scene where he brings her on stage is probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole year of like, you know, a year of watching movies. It's just a great scene. And I, I really like the way that, you know, the, the build up to it and like, you know, she's she's all nervous and stuff. And then, you know, she kind of, you know, finds her strength, comes out on stage and like, um, you know, starts off on like the far side on like the the backup singer, Mike. And it's like, oh. Hey, buddy. But then like and you see it all over the trailers. But the thing where she like goes and jumps on his mic, you know, practically inhaling the damn microphone. It's like I mean, that 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 elicits a bunch of feels. It's is it's a well-crafted scene. And, you know, I think they filmed that like at Coachella or something like that um, for or, or some other large concert venue. Um, my understanding is that basically since since the Lady Gaga fan base is is deep and unending, she's just like, hey, little monsters, we're doing this thing. Why don't you come out? And they came mm-hmm. out. And, you know, of course, right. they had no idea what was going on. And but then uh, I heard later that that she ended up doing like a half a dozen uh, songs later, you know, like for the audience and stuff. And thought that was really cool. It was a really great scene. Um, But the back half kind of loses me. And 
more than anything because it 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 puzzles people like i've talked to a couple folks where i i set it up exactly how i just did talking to aaron here and it's like but wait a sec didn't you say you you didn't like the movie that is correct i as as a grown ass adult man don't like movies that make me feel bad <laughs> I, I, I and, and, well, and it is it is fair to say that a movie can also be technically good, but uh, but not be likable to you for whatever reason, whether it be at your sensibility or mm-hmm. you know maybe you felt like you were being manipulated or whatever. Yeah, and it was one of those things. So, like, Lucky and I went to go see it. We're on the drive home. It was a relatively quiet drive, and she's like, "What'd you think of the movie?" And I'm like, "Didn't like it." She's like, <laughs> "Well, uh, I'm like." I don't I don't like feeling bad when I when I leave a movie. I I, I don't like it. <laughs> I was I was kind of I was kind of like uh, uh quite childish about it actually a little a little indignant. Um but but I I got a couple other things and and you you know you talked about some of the problems a lot of them are kind of you know very easy to overlook because I will concede that it is a remarkable movie. It it is a good movie. Um, just because I don't like it doesn't doesn't diminish any of that. But um, but but a couple of things I, I just kind of thought of as I as I reflected on it. Um, I, I also did some deep diving. I've I've I saw um, at least I, I know I've seen the 1976 one, the, the Barbara Streisand one, uh, but I'm pretty sure I saw one if not both of the of the older ones uh wow. but 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 I but I can't place it it's not recently enough to be relevant but as I was doing this deep dive it it was kind of it was kind of coming back to me a little bit um but the thing that one of the things that bugged me about this telling is that it's really kind of more his story than her story because of all of the texture that he's given he's given a lot to do and yeah, that was kind of, uh, I would say if I had on the list of things that I didn't like as much, I, yeah, I feel like the Gaga character could have used a lot more development. I mean, how, yeah. like, first of all, how, how do you really deal with this kind of relationship that she's right. found herself in? You know, she's depicted as shy, self-conscious, but at times she's spunky and, and she can be self-assured, but her reactions to the antics that she has to deal with with the with the Bradley Cooper Jackson character yeah. are pretty shallow, actually. <laughs> and and <laughs> to uh, coin a phrase, I know that that kind of relationship would certainly be a lot more complex than that. So yeah, uh, I don't I don't fault I don't fault Lady Gaga for that. Yeah. I think it's a, a script issue. I think she could have handled it. And uh, but so that is certainly one of the flaws that I feel about the film, but. I come across a lot of critics out there that feel that this movie is just in- inherently sexist in that way and as well. And I wouldn't say that at all. Though. Yeah. I would, say that they, I would say despite the fact that more texture could have been brought into Lady Gaga's character, I think they developed a good, strong you know, female lead. Yeah, I I agree, and it, and it is odd that we're having the the simultaneous uh, juxtaposition of like. She um she acted good, you know. I mean, meaning like you know, uh, <laughs> right. I mean she Lady Gaga gives a phenomenal performance for what's really kind of like an underwritten character, and I can't mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I've run into that where kind of like that 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 uh, where that delta is between like you know what 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 somebody can do. 
I mean, imagine if that character had been more fleshed out. I mean, it's like, I mean, she uh, obviously she loves him, but I don't know why she loves him. You know, that that I mean, just little stuff like that. And um, everything in the movie just kind of happens. You know, it's like she she goes out on stage and and suddenly she's Britney Spears or something Boom. famous. <laughs> and and the one of the things that, that kind of bothered me about that aspect is that neither of their characters really seems especially interested in being superstars. Um, I, I, I guess, I mean, again, it sounds like I'm picking on Lady Gaga's performance, but I'm not because I loved it. Um, but I, I just, I just needed to see some kind of like raw ambition, like early in the movie, like when she's like at her other job and stuff like that, and you know, some of that pluck and spunk and moxie that you were referring to earlier, all of that just just disappears from from the movie narratively. And I I was kind of frustrated about that. It's just like I mean, because like I mean, it, it's not nearly the same rung, but being in the industry that I am uh, working in commercial radio, there's there's not a day that goes by when I work that I have some kind of moment that's usually very, very little and subtle, but where I, I think I'm like, this is pretty fucking cool. You know, it's like, right. and whether it's just like, I mean, like there was like one day that like, you know, uh, um, Academy award winning director, Danny Boyle just walked past my studio. You know, he was mm-hmm. doing an interview with, on a different station, had nothing to do with me. I didn't meet him, didn't talk to him, but just the fact but that there he, he was, but there he was. And I was like, I'm like, looked at my producer i'm like is that that's danny boyle isn't it and yet just just one of those and and it take i reflect and say that's pretty fucking cool you know it's like i'm kind of like in a space where those kind of things happen and and you know i've got you know musician friends that you know like have had you know various levels of of success and struggle and things like that and none of these people seem especially hungry and i don't they, know I just they definitely well so my take on that is that um uh, for the for the Bradley Cooper character mm-hmm. my a lot of a lot of things i've read try and describe the character as washed up although i didn't really get that from this i saw him more as kind of a veteran yeah. like he he probably had a hot phase and that phase was probably 10 years ago but it's mm-hmm. not like he was fading he's still famous he's still a stadium filler so yeah. in my head he's kind of like a like a Dave Matthews band or a Neil Young or a Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm, kind of act mm-hmm. where he's not top in charts, but he's respected. He's not a joke basically. And so I bet that to that end, I feel like he's road weary. He doesn't know. He's not, he's not putting a lot into it and he's sick. He's depressed. He's yeah. a, a drug addict, alcoholic. So to that end, he's going through the motions, right? And, yeah. and maybe it's the Lady Gaga character that ultimately inspires him to put a little bit more, uh, you know, stoking of the professional flames for himself. And for her, though, I, I completely agree in that they make reference that she's been she. It seems like she had given up on a career yeah. as well, at least a serious career. Um, and they don't really go into a lot of detail of like, what is that effort you put into it? Did you uh, make a dozen demo? I mean, they made it clear that she did not perform her, that she's a songwriter yeah, and she yeah. didn't perform her own original songs, but, and they, and they seem to almost make her uh, a, a victim, but a victim of like r- really kind of shallow, um, uh, prejudice, like like they talk yeah. about her looks, and they're like, 
I could I couldn't get a career because my nose was too big, and uh, they kept focusing on that one. I can think of uh, dozens of uh, female artists who aren't you know runway supermodels, right. but are major famous talented respected um, uh, <laughs> musicians now i'm not gonna act like being good looking doesn't give you a level of of uh privilege or maybe starter access or marketability but the fact is there are plenty of unattractive or less conventionally attractive people that have uh, that have made it big time so yeah it was kind of like like it was very shallow in like okay why has she given up why uh, what ha- effort has she really put in? Uh, what have her setbacks really been? To me, like it would have been more interesting if you kind of got went into her grind, and yeah. this just maybe ended up being a part of the grind because it is a thing that luck happens and being in the right place at the right time happens. And sometimes, yeah. if you have the ability to to see that you're in one of those moments, you can springboard it. But at, at the same time, though, it just, I don't know, it, it again, it would just chalk it up to lack of character development. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, she she should have seemed like it, it would have made more sense if it had felt like she wanted it more or appreciated it more. Or I'm finally getting what I've put all my work in for rather than, oh, I guess I'm just a star now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she almost seems indifferent towards it. But, you know, as as we were talking here, I just I, I agree with everything you were saying. I just realized this as I, as I was staring out the window. This really is kind of like a uh, choose your own adventure version of Coyote Ugly. Like, you know, I yeah, yeah, bear with me a sec. So I, you know, I, I almost. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I need like that montage where she's like pedaling around the, the demo tape and, you know, getting all like the rejections and stuff like that. But, but the choose your own adventure aspect is like one, she goes to work at Coyote Ugly and that story propels that direction, or she runs into Bradley Cooper and, and then we go off and have this adventure instead. It really is kind of like the same thing for like the first, I, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. And, and again, um, uh, not to belabor the point, repeat myself too much, but I, I just, I, I, I needed something where it's like, this is kind of cool. You know, I, my life is pretty awesome. And, and, and the, the, the passage of time is really weird in this movie also. I mean, I'm glad they bought a dog so that you can see like, you know, okay, it's a puppy. Now it's a dog. It's bigger. <laughs> yeah. It gets bigger and maybe it gets older question mark. Maybe probably not. I don't really know. Um, so yeah, the, the passage of time is, is, is really kind of, uh, really kind of odd, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean the thing. The one of the things that I discovered in my deep dive of uh, this and kind of exploring some of the other versions is that they all have pretty much the same story beats, and I um I kind of forgot about <laughs> the the uh, the outcome of all of these other stories. I think had I known that or remembered it, it may not have as impacted me as as hard as it did i mean basically so like the characters they meet they fall in love she becomes a superstar he gets jealous embarrasses her at a fancy award ceremony he goes to rehab uh hears that she's going to give up on her career to stand by her man 
He then later kills himself, sometimes more accidentally than others, usually mm-hmm. by walking into the ocean, but also the occasional car accident or a, a garage hanging. Very sad. Um, but and then now completely unburdened, she Gee, gets spoilers yeah. for all versions of this movie. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. That's and and again, I I kind of forgot that it's like, oh, that's where we're going. And there was. And afterwards, when I'm kind of getting into my deep divey stuff, I saw, um, I, I forget who it was, uh, maybe it was uh, Flicks in the City on YouTube, uh, speculating that, like, you know, maybe this was going to be the one that breaks the mold, and turns out it didn't. In fact, it, uh, it, it doubles down harder on the, you know, uh, uh, the... Um, blatant suicide and the reasons why. You know, he goes into the garage and hangs himself as opposed to like, you know, Chris Christopherson just gets in a car wreck. You know, he may have been driving recklessly to try to kill himself, you know, and like the other two guys from like the 1937 movie and the 1954 movie, they they kind of went out for a swim maybe intending to kill themselves maybe not it it's kind of it's kind of left to interpretation this is the one that takes the stand and says that it's it's doing that um uh specifically and you know at the end they they all give some kind of tribute and now use their their late husband's last name and thus a star is born i guess um except that she was already a star i mean she won a grammy for best new artist right. <laughs> and, and uh yeah i i, I kind of take issue with some of the 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 narratives i hear about about there's this sort of uh i don't know if uh not misogynistic notion right. but just sort of anti female notion that the the man has to die and to and he has to he's sacri he's sacrificing himself so that she can get what she deserves and all that. And like, I, I, for the, at least this version of the movie, I can't speak to the other ones because right. I haven't seen them, but I didn't look at it as a sacrifice. Like that he was thinking for her to shine, I must die and I will give the ultimate sacrifice. I looked at it as he was struggling yeah. with, uh, a depression and addiction that he could not, uh, get over, couldn't bring, bring the muster the strength to get over. Yeah. And he knew he was a, a drag on her character, right. but I, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, he felt wor- alone. He felt worthless and he did feel like a burden. I wouldn't look at it as I'm sacrificing myself no. so she can be a star. I look at it more as, I don't want to be around anymore because the pain of my life and the pain that I feel like I'm bringing of others is too much for me to bear. And, uh, so, and, and that, I feel like that's probably more authentic to what, people who deal with those struggles are yeah. why like i don't know that, that that at least that was my take on it mm-hmm. i know that there were moments of jealousy but i also don't feel like his character was necessarily you tell me if you disagree with this mm. i don't feel like he was jealous of her career he wanted her to have a career yeah. i think he was a little bit jealous of um uh, like as she started to take off uh, I think he was maybe a little jealous that he wasn't going to have the time with her that he once did or like m- more conventional yeah. thoughts around jealousy than more coveting what, that she has something that he wants. Cause I don't think he wanted more fame. He never indicates that he wishes he was more famous or yeah. was making more money or whatever. He, I think he was 
relatively fine with his career trajectory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you, but for me that's kind of a criticism of the thing because that that's a component of this story that you know i mean and granted all of the male characters in the previous versions are you know sorely underwritten and underdeveloped um to where again this 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 is bradley cooper's movie very much mm-hmm. so but i i was missing that that jealousy aspect whereas like in all of the other versions at like the awards you know the, the first two deal more with movies you know it's so like the the they win oscars and basically the guy has like a drunken tirade and is jealous. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like it should be me type of thing. Whereas Bradley Cooper just simply embarrasses her because of his struggles, which I I didn't I didn't like that as much. Um, and and I, I think felt like he had enough bad stuff going on that you didn't necessarily need to add that uh, that jealousness in there, that career jealousness in there to, to kind of build out that maybe he had some flaws. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I didn't need it. But that, but that, that's fair. That's I mean, I, I can't disagree. It, it was it was um, and I think maybe it was an interpretation I came on later as I reflected on it. I didn't necessarily get that at first blush, but it was like, yeah, once I started to learn more and remember more about. Uh, you know, the story of how this kind of goes, you know, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm a comic book nerd. So when I, so when I watch like these, these Marvel movies and stuff, I'm like, well, that's, that's from the books. That's kind of from the books. I don't know what the hell that is. You know, I mean, you know, bring it back to, to Transformers for a hot sec, you know, I mean, again, that, Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's my issue with, I, I don't, I don't like when we're doing things like in name only. That, that's that's right. like a huge problem for me. It's like if you're going to do it, then do it, um, but then don't do it. Now this doesn't rise to that level, but I yeah I I I, I guess I'll I'll go on that record and say that yeah maybe I I would have liked maybe just a little more uh, career jealousy or at least show that that it is indeed kind of like in decline. The the only thing we get of that is where. Um, at, at the at the same award ceremony, what a coincidence! You know, at the Grammys, that they're going to give the nod to this other younger performer over him, but Bradley Cooper can still play backup. That that kind of thing, but right. but that's really the only indication that you know. May, and and who knows? Maybe that was just a. I I feel like it was presented as a prudent move on the producers of the award show saying like this dude's got some substance problems maybe let's just you know kind of not give him too much to do but that 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 could be me yeah, over interpreting. No, I I agree with you on that one that that uh that when the movie opens up I again as as I was saying earlier like Bradley Cooper's not in his like pop prime but yeah. he's an elder statesman, but he's getting the job done. And when, as the movie progresses, I don't I, like it's not that his career is on decline until people start like basically his addiction hits its peak. That's when the career starts to decline. And that happens in the movie, not before the movie starts, right. um, as far as I'm concerned. So people I think he is building that reputation at some of the events that he's doing that maybe he's not performing very well or he's obviously got some issues causing, you know, what happened at the, at the Grammy show. You know, he gets right. essentially demoted mm-hmm. and right. uh, and justifiably. 
Yeah, totally. Now, um, so so another angle I wanted to kind of crack open on this is um, now I, I remember uh, we we briefly uh, talked about this movie uh, when we were all in Chicago for TFCon and I didn't get around to saying you know like all of this it was just like you know the whole you know everything you've heard is true he's great she's great they're great all of that and it, it just left it there but one of the one of the aspects that that uh, you brought up uh, by comparing Comparison is uh, looking at through the kaleidoscope of the movie La La Land, and I was wondering if you wanted to kind of uh, chew into that a little bit because there there are there are some interesting uh, parallels, um, and th- this is where maybe my inconsistency uh, shows a little bit. I like I like that movie a lot. I I I just watched it like six eight months ago. I really like it. Um, same kind of movie, but instead of uh, feeling like crap at the end of it, I felt pretty good at the end of it, despite its uh, bittersweet ending, or maybe because of its bittersweet ending. I'm going to shut mm-hmm. up a second and let, uh, let you uh, chew on the floor for a few. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I did text everybody and, and say that uh, something along the lines of it's La- they should have just called it La La Land 2. <laughs> La La Land 2 still sniffling because but I think and it, I'd only see, recently seen La La Land as well. I saw it maybe two months ago for the first time. Oh, OK. And and so it was fresh in my mind. And I feel like both of these movies, which I liked them both. I liked La La Land a lot as mm-hmm. well. I think they're both the type of movies that I would have disliked if the year was say 2003 or four or something oh, like sure. that. And I'm yeah. in the prime of my sort of, uh, college age cynicism and, and feel like, uh, like, like just, just give the movie a happy ending or don't like, right. I don't know, like make it nihilistic or don't pull this crap of like, happy, happy, happy. And then, oh, surprise, they don't end up together kind of stuff. And so, so, and I did feel that when I saw La La Land, I did have that moment of like, I feel like this movie would have been so much better if they would have just ended up together. Like it feels like a cheap sort of game to try and make your movie look deeper than it really is to make them not end up together. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and that was, so that was my feeling on La La Land and it was, it wasn't necessarily as much my feeling on this. The main similarity was that obviously the characters don't end up together because (laughs) one of them dies, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, I, it felt less cheap in this movie just because there's so much, well, a, I didn't know it at the time, but this movie's been done at least three or four times before right but also be because they you, you get the feeling pretty early on it's probably not going to end well for old bradley cooper true and that any moments of clarity are probably brief yeah yeah and it's and it's just kind of interesting and and again, La La Land is a completely different movie. I mean, you know, you've got you've got whimsy and things like that, which which a lot of people don't like it because of that. You know, they're they're like, oh no, you can take that observatory scene and shove it in your fucking ear. You know, I'm like, whoa, buddy, okay. <laughs> um, I I'm not that guy. I I like it because of the whimsy, and I and again in 2004, I would not oh. have liked that. I would have been like, give me Fight Club or something like that all day long. Right? I want to be dark with it. But God as you it. grow. As I've grown older and softer, yeah. I can appreciate the whimsy. Bring it on. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, and it's weird. I mean, it's like, you know, in uh, uh, 2004, you know, if if you and I were friends then, we yeah, we would have very different conversations than the conversations we're having now. And that and that's just, you know, trajectory of life and, you know, uh, experiencing things. And it just it, it cracks me up that you bring up Fight Club. I'm just like I, I may or may not have been a been a Fincher head for for a couple minutes there, just like everybody else in, in 1999. But, uh, that's right. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting, uh, uh, way of, uh, comparing and contrasting it because I, it's not that I dislike an unhappy ending. I mean, I think I do for the most part, like, like for example, Schindler's List is a, is a, is an amazing transcendent film that I will never watch again. <laughs> um, because uh, not not a lot of yucks in that. Not not a um, and this for for me at least this feels the same way. I you know I might listen to that soundtrack album because I mean again like, I mean like um, the music is really good and and I would contend that that uh, that a uh, shallow song is you know it's it's like a legit good song regardless oh, I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean it's, it's an anthem yeah. i mean it's uh, it's bombastic and uh, you know everything that comes along with being a yeah. uh, a good pop song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and i i dig it for that so if if i wanted to touch on that i would go there rather than spinning this up but then again like i mean i own la la land on blu-ray i just, you know i i watched it a few months ago and i'll probably watch it again um you know in a in a way we're kind of getting uh this sort of hybrid you know yeah. the, in in the 80s and 90s any romantic comedy or or romantic uh drama or melodrama is probably going to end with a happy ending. And then in the late nineties through the two thousands, you got all those like for better or for worse, Donnie Darko type movies where, oh where it was just bad stuff yeah. happening and more bad stuff happening. Yeah. And, and a lot of quality flicks came out of that, sure. but you know, it was a, probably a more depressing era of film or type of film. And so now we have this probably what's maybe tr- closer to real life. Not everything turns out on a happy note from even from a romantic standpoint. So to take the concept of a, you know, a musical and mm-hmm. uh, to turn it on its head and say, yep, guess what? They didn't end up together. Uh, the like, I, I, I guess I respect that notion and, and appreciate the, the mashing up of, of uh, cultures. Yeah. But with La La Land, it, again, it just t- it felt cheap because it did feel tacked on. Speaking of tacked on, like yeah. I really felt and maybe I need to watch it again, but it really felt like Oh, okay. They're they're done, and uh, but we're gonna also just to just to pour a little bit of uh, uh, salt in the wound. We're gonna show you this alternate universe real quick right. where they actually <laughs> got together and had a great life. Yeah. Speaking of choose your own adventure. <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, like this, it's probably not the best comparison other than right. it's two romantic movies that I've seen where the people don't end up together. <laughs> yeah, yes. no, and and, and they're both and there's music, great music in both of them. Yeah, and and maybe I oversold oversold it. I it, it wasn't my intention to put it and say like, oh, you know, let's compare and contrast these two movies. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was uh, I I was looking. I was at, doing it though. It made me feel similarly for whatever reason. That's what I wanted. to 
to uh, to get to that because that that's where I was thinking that that's what my wavelength was is that it's like yeah you know they they elicit similar feelings and similar emotions so um, and it and it's just fascinating for me where I land on one side on one and then the other on the other and it's uh, nobody goes into a movie like this thinking. I really hope they don't end up together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope this ends up in a bad place. <laughs> like nobody, nobody does that, you know, yeah. but well, you might go into some action movies and really like a good charismatic villain and kind of think, Oh man, that would be so cool. If the villain won a la Avengers or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, but nobody goes into any movie about relationships <laughs> and, yeah. and wants a big breakup or death scene. Right, exactly. So, um, so as a as we think about wrapping up, final thoughts, anything uh, in in your junk drawer of either sure. notes or recollections yeah. that we haven't talked about yet? A couple, a couple of uh, things that bug me in retrospect about the movie were that, and I think again, this goes back to that concept of not developing the character mm-hmm. further. Was she was kind of just whatever to to those that were helping manage her career particularly the kind of uh like the sort of smarmy uh anr guy that, oh, that yeah. was helping her out like i mean she and, and i get that i don't know it's kind of a cliche of movies about the music industry that uh, your management or record labels or record companies are going to try and change you but this didn't do anything to bring new information to that cliche. So I guess that's, I mean, I I know it's a real thing that artists are discovered and commoditized, but uh, we're in an era where pop music with, with the exception of maybe mumble rap is basically respected (laughs) as an art form. I mean, to go back to our Gen X fight club days, those were times when like pop music was not respected or at least not by people like me. And every time a new NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or whatever album came out, you know, we would cringe and be like, uh, you know, and you know, just like rom-coms. I like that and respect that music now, but I think just pop music in general is well respected. And so there's this idea of, of she is not as great an artist because that's the path she's taking or that's the path that she's letting her management take her down. And I feel like this movie is, I believe set in contemporary times. I, so I feel like it's a little bit uh, shitty. And and I know that the main character of Jackson certainly implied, Mm -hmm. he didn't imply it. He says it, but the movie kind of implies it and says it as well, which is kind of weird just given that that's, that is Lady Gaga's, uh, thing in real yeah. life, and yet the yeah. movie kind of, I feel, disrespects that in the scenes where it shows her doing the dances and doing the pop songs. Mm-hmm. I feel like the movie's saying this isn't really as good, but it's the path that she's going down for better or for worse. And so I think that's a little unfair to pop music. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I, I was skimming through my notes and I found one uh, one super nitpicky thing, and this is dumb. I should probably leave this out, but uh, but apparently, uh, rehab cures tinnitus. <laughs> I it was it did, was he not dealing with it after the rehab? Was he all of a sudden better? Is that kind of yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, so like his hearing improves while he's in rehab. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just two months away from uh, loudspeakers helped. I mean, I guess you don't get your hearing back, but may, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it drowned out the the buzzing. I I'm sure that's that's the way it's presented. But it was one of those things like 
uh, I don't know, it bugged me for some reason. But but I also liked it. I mean, it had one of one of the most heartbreaking movies in the in the movie uh, was when Sam Elliott comes back and sees him and he's talking to him and Bradley Cooper's like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. He's like, you're not hearing a goddamn thing. I'm saying, oh, yeah, sure. No, yeah. it's fine. And and you could see where, like, you know, his hearing loss has gotten worse. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's that's heart wrenching stuff because it just kind of shows where he was at. That was uh I think very vividly illustrated on that same note, that SNL performance and Bradley Cooper shows up and it was as if he was seeing her perform or for the first time, like that was the unveiling to him of what her music stylings were going to be, which that just doesn't feel realistic to me. Like he's all disgusted and like, Oh, this music's so bad. She's (laughs) a true artist. I'm going to go get drunk again. Uh, I felt like, like you, you guys are together. Are you trying to act like you've never had a conversation about the direction of her music or she hasn't played some demos for you and asked for your feedback or you haven't maybe dropped by the recording studio to see how she was doing or the dance studio before. So that just felt like a little, Oh, you've never seen this before. Are you guys even dating? (laughs) What's what's going on here? Uh, So that felt, that's like a, a nitpick, but, um, you know, and my other nitpick I noted mostly because I think this movie just in general reignited my wife's crush for Bradley Cooper. Sure. Um, but for a movie that makes such a big deal about authenticity, uh, seeing Bradley Cooper's abs all the time, that felt like pandering. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and or it's either a pandering or a show off move uh, by Bradley Cooper. And, and that's, you know, not to just be like, uh, ab, dude abs, gross, but. The character is never shown at the gym, and he obviously doesn't take care of himself. He should not have a perfect body. Bradley (laughs) Cooper should have pulled a like a Christian Bale move and been, you know, at least a little soft. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'm just saying that because if anything, that felt tacked on. I I got you. By the way, uh, audience, if you don't remember, I have a six pack. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, yeah, you know, theater of the mind, you know, uh, the magic of radio, of course. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, and and it's interesting uh, because like at one point, like Bradley Cooper has like his pants down and stuff because he's getting like some like you know re- uh, injections in his rump or yeah. something like that. So you're getting like some some Cooper ass. You even get like I, I swear there's like some gangly pubes coming out of there or something. But um, he's like just barely holding his jeans up. Uh, you get the whole you get the full V line, ladies, if that's what you're into. <laughs> yeah, the, the flying. V. But it is it is kind of weird how this movie treats uh, nudity because you get like a little bit of Gaga nudity that's kind of odd. I'm like, I, I didn't need that. I don't know if that belongs here comma what are we doing question mark it was i I don't know it just it it didn't necessarily feel gratuitous that's not the right word i'm looking for but it was one of those things where it it kind of it kind of jarred me out of the right on thematically either yeah yeah just it it, i don't know it was was just one of those things where i'm like oh well okay well i've seen your tits now that that's cool um (laughs) but yeah no it was just it yeah it 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 just kind of chipped away at it um uh, just a just a little bit there. Um, I forgot where we were going for that. Oh, actually, I kind of interrupted you because we were we were nitpicking about uh, Bradley Cooper's abs. Uh, those, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I, those are my. I don't know. Those are my main nitpicks. The the th- things I really loved about the movie or that I thought were done really well. I mean, just in general, from a technical standpoint, yeah. it's hard to believe it's Bradley Cooper's first thing he's ever directed right. because it feels like 
you know, he made some choices that were really confident and, and, uh, you know, for a first time director, uh, I mean, he's been in the industry a while, so I assume he's had a lot of exposure and, and maybe he spent a lot of time with directors from a, from a, just a, the operational side of how you make a movie. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know. I thought, I just thought he did a great job. I think that the, like, particularly the, I thought it was a beautiful movie. I thought it was framed really well. Mm-hmm. I thought that the um, the uh, like that hand cam, it just particularly the giant concert scenes, they felt really. There was something really neat and voyeuristic to feel like you yeah. felt like you were kind of a part of the scene or somehow a part of the entourage. And so, so however that was accomplished, technically was really good. And and uh, and uh, the uh, just. Again, Bradley Cooper's acting. I mean, you yeah. know he's like he. You know the first movie I saw where Bradley Cooper impressed me. I mean, I think he's always been a good, competent actor as a yeah. person that doesn't really kind of get into like this actor's better than another one. But Rocket Raccoon, sure, <laughs> in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. I didn't see that coming at all, and he that was awesome. And this is kind of just a similar way in terms of like how he's inhabiting that character and is it is the, you don't see any Bradley Cooper in him. Yeah, I mean cuz yeah, it, it's kind of weird that, you know, uh Jackson Maine and Rocket Raccoon are, you know, just that that these different aspects of Bradley Cooper's performance because, you know, usually you kind of go hangover or, you know, some of those, uh, you know, shitty action movies he tried to be in like, uh, like he, like he was in that, that, uh, a team reboot, which actually Mm -hmm. I kind of like that movie, even though it's, pretty bad but but anyway but he's he's always playing Bradley Cooper and then like somewhere along the way a switch got flipped and yeah I mean he's he's a dude with a tremendous American Hustle Silver Linings Playbook there it I is mean, yeah I mean, somehow or another he, people recognized that he had chops I don't know if it took a director to trust him or him just developing as an artist himself yeah I mean he played uh, early on in his career he played a version of Anthony Bourdain on a <laughs> on a television series that didn't make it very far but right. uh but you know he was picked to lead a series so obviously he, people be- have believed in him for a while yeah but, so it's interesting to see him really develop as a holy shit this guy is like could be a De Niro level Absolutely. Well, and and even transcendent of De Niro, because, I mean, really, it's cosmically unfair the amount of talent this dude has. I mean, it's like, you know, OK, let, let me let me see if we can get this straight. So he can act comedically. He can act dramatically. And oh, yeah. And he can teach himself to sing. Um, <laughs> also, he can direct movies and he's got six pack abs. God. And he seems like a nice dude. Oh yeah, yeah. Comes comes across as incredibly genuine. So yeah, it's like I don't. Oh, it's 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 interesting. I'm I'm jealous. <laughs> jealous. Well, one other one other note I had here just yeah. to get off uh, Bradley Cooper's dick for a minute. Uh, so we talked about Dice Clay. Yes. Did you know that he won out that role, speaking of Robert De Niro, over Robert De Niro and John Turturro and John Travolta? No they, shit. Those, other, those three were up for that role. No shit. That's uh, And, 
you know, and th- those are wonderful scenes, like early in the movie where they're just like hanging around in the house, and it's like this legion of like limo drivers and stuff. And and mm-hmm. I like I like that it takes like you know a good couple scenes to explain what that even is. You're just kind of thrown mm-hmm. into it, and uh, but yeah, no, that's that's interesting because I think that would be um, almost cartoony if you put any of those other actors in there because i I de niro just feels too on the nose really like uh he's done plenty of roles like that the caring father who's a little aloof you don't need him travolta he's in movie jail right now for that shitty john Gotti movie so forget (laughs) that that i could see maybe a torturo uh i think he would have been great at it but yeah, I, I, I didn't even realize it was Andrew Dice Clay until after the movie was over. Sure. Yeah, you're probably watching the credits and it's like, Ruh? Well, where yeah. was he? I, I'm confused. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, dude, this uh, this was a lot of fun, actually. You know, it's kind of, you know, and I think we kind of got to split the difference and kind of have it always. We got to we got to talk about some <laughs> Transformers uh, and uh, but then also get into some subjects that are that are uh, away from that as well. Um, and and the cool thing about, you know, having having a show that isn't about anything in particular you can talk about anything in particular so that's uh it's cool that we could do that this conversation does uh go into the category of stuff and things (laughs) yeah see we had stuff and now we have things uh so aaron before uh before we let you go uh remind folks again about uh about your podcast and where folks can keep up with the latest and greatest out on the internets well, thank you for asking, sir. Uh, yeah, you are referring to the Autopod Decepticast, which was our minute-by-minute podcast where we covered the 1986 Transformers movie. Uh, we we produced that podcast for about 85 weeks. I should say we still are producing, but the meat of the podcast or the purpose for its existence, which was, again, to go one, one minute at a time, spend about you know 20 minutes to an hour or whatever, dissecting one minute of screen time. Well, we got through it, and but it's all still available and up there. It's still just as timely as it was a year and a half ago because we don't really, I mean, we talk about pop culture, but we don't talk about like what's in the news. We really focus around the movie and really just kind of around pop culture that would be relevant to somebody that was around during that time or grow up grew up you know in the 80s and 90s so so that is out there we are going even though the movie minute stuff is done we have some other pieces of content that we'll be producing uh we were out weekly we're probably going to be coming out monthly there's actually today we're going to publish that which is sunday 12 2 uh it, so it'll be out by the time this is out but we have a collection of script deviations that ryan jet who we mentioned previously Previously is editing together and so essentially he's taking there was a part of the show where we looked at the various scripts that uh, were out there for Transformers the movie and, and noticed and commented on how crazy they were and how different they were from what we saw on screen and so he's kind of woven that together into a special segment I think there's going to be two parts and part one will be coming out on December 2nd and so it'll almost be like you kind of just get to see what that alternate universe movie would have been in in one or two shots. So <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I think we'll there's lots of other ideas that we'll be coming up with to uh, you know continue the dialogue. There's still more quote meat on the bone of Transformers the movie <laughs> that is worth talking about and 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 
So that's what we'll be up to. And all of that is uh, our website is autopoddecepticast.com. And of course, on all the major podcasting platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. So yeah, thanks for thanks for giving me the opportunity to shout that out. And thank you for having me on the show here. And that will do it for this week's special bonus episode. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to listen to my past episodes, including all of my college radio shows, subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, the Stitcher Radio app, Apple Podcasts, and on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MikeSybertRadio. And write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. For MikeSybertRadio, my name is Mike. And this is Aaron. And until next time, make good choices. Essentially 12 notes between any octave. It's the same story told over and over. All any artist can offer the world is how they see those 12 notes. You ready? <laughs>